1: erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator join me as i uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving god and we are not its favored children the heresies of radolf Wine, coming january 2nd wherever podcasts are available
2: This is episode 10, the bonus episode of Blood Culture. I'm Lance Dan, the show's producer.
3: And I'm David Wigram, the co-writer.
2: And for this episode, we're going to be in the studio. We're going to join Jack and Briny and Christina and the whole crew. And we're just going to be talking about the project and some of the ideas that span out of it.
3: Uh, We just want to say uh, thanks for coming on this journey with us. And we will hand over now to the studio Uh, for our very final episode of Blood Culture. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Well, guys, well done.
2: (laughs) Lance. Yes. Who won? I think Aisha won, didn't she, in a way? I mean, she, she ended up cutting herself free from both her fathers and being her own person, I think. And, and sort of also overcoming her mother and overcoming the death of her mother so she got closure she was able to move on and we kind of leave her swinging in a hammock and we're not ever quite sure what she's going to do afterwards but yeah that was, that was enough even though the journey was much much worse than she ever imagined
3: it, w- it was pretty brutal um, Bryony
2: where's, uh, where's Livy after uh-huh. all of this?
4: Wow, I think, well, I think she's uh, onto her next mission, surely. She, was, she might
2: accidentally get drunk under a table for six months. She'll and not definitely know get drunk for a long time.
4: <laughs> um, do a lot of partying, you know, living on a crazy boat and doing some foraging and... Catching insects to put in jars, I don't know mad stuff, and then she'll f- find some political beast to solve and catch the
2: thing about people like Livy is she's not that focused enough to immediately have another it's it's it's, it's a bit like a, you know if something catches her eye, she'll go for it yeah
3: yeah, I, yeah well i i I think it's worth asking Alan, did do, do you think the other Alan, the fictional Alan... Yes. is uh, he got a future with Livy's he sick. certainly hopes so every day is an adventure isn't it I, I, I think that's that's the truth <laughs> I think she's rejuvenated his life in lots of ways given him something to uh, you know fight for as it were so you're hopeful for them
1: I I like yeah, that absolutely, yeah absolutely yeah yeah I think they're all happy to be alive at the end of that though aren't they <laughs> but he's,
2: this is going to be his midlife crisis isn't it it's over <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, Alan's midlife crisis is yeah. over. I think Livy is going to be his midlife crisis. <laughs> He's, oh, come on. He's been around the block before, for goodness sake. No one like Livy, though, surely.
3: No Grebo anarcho
2: syndicalists that's <laughs>
5: right.
3: <laughs> Obviously, poor Richard, he basically went through the physical crisis of stripping his body of all kind of functioning stem cells. It's Christina, am I, am I right in this? It, like, he killed all his stem cells, is this right? Yes, he did. And then, like, stuck new ones in. Is this actually believable? Does, could this happen? Is this, is this just made up in the fevered brain of Lance Dan?
6: No, well this is actually the very first type of regenerative medicine that was ever done. But marrow transplantation has been done since the 60s and uh, it has saved many lives.
2: If you inject someone's stem cells, what do the stem cells do?
6: So the injection of stem cells here is an injection of very specific stem cells and they are blood stem cells. And uh, yes, you just inject them intravenously and they know by themselves to go to the bone marrow and do their job there. In fact, it has been calculated uh, blood stem cells do enter circulation normally every once in a while, but they stay only for about two minutes and within two minutes they are back into the bone marrow. And this is the same that happens during bone marrow transplantation when... How Blood do they, stem cells how are, are, are given they know? to people how do they so quickly know? they go. Well, there is a whole um, receptor ligand interaction and uh, it's a, a signaling cascade that takes place. So there is a there is a big magnet that is produced by the bone marrow, which is called cxel 12 Right. Uh, and there is a receptor for it that the stem cell have, which is called CXCR4. And basically, anything that expresses CXCR4 oh. is just it's just like a magnet. It's just
2: like a magnet. No, that's a shame because I actually thought the stem shells were kind of like autonomous and found their own way. But it's plain magnetic attraction. I'm a bit disappointed there. I thought they kind of wended their own way individually, like little. Well, they
6: do find their own way by themselves, but they are guided by signals. Uh, Now mine, CXEL12, is taking them to the Bomaro. In fact, one of the things that we do with my research group during my day job is to actually look at the stem cells as they enter the Bomaro and figure out where they go. And they don't go just quite anywhere. They find some very specific places that are really, really special, and we really want to find out what is special about them.
2: And do we know how they do that? Um,
6: Only in part.
5: (sighs) still more science to do but they wouldn't harm each other in other words they know not to impinge in some way or instinctively don't
6: exactly and somehow they work all together so they are dispersed throughout our whole bone marrow which is in a number of our bones and somehow they know between all of them so far apart within the organism how many blood cells they need to generate every day and this is actually billions and it is done in the correct amount
5: if you were asked whether you're a holist or a reductionist what would you answer Because it sounds holistic, Mm. that.
6: Yes, it is is actually one of the big challenges we have at the moment. So what Mm. I do in my day job is to use microscopy and to look at single blood stem cells and look at where they are and look at what they do. And this is on a cell per cell basis. But. But... the big question that we have is how do the few thousands of blood stem cells that we have in our body manage to work together and regenerate our blood for the entirety of our life. So we have this constant um, tension between the single cell and the population. And when you look at single cells, they they do lots of very different things. And at the moment, the buzzword is heterogeneity, because when we look at many single cells, they are all a little bit different. And yet, you take these heterogeneous little cells, you put them together in a population, and as a population they're incredibly robust and day after day after day billions of neurite cells white blood cells platelets throughout our life more if we need more fewer if we need fewer perfect
2: can I ask a question <laughs> uh, go ahead Lance <laughs> um, uh, R- Richard's got um, sickle cell uh, thalassemia right correct where is he from then
3: What Dr. Christina said, uh, if you remember a couple of episodes ago...
2: Wasn't paying attention.
3: Were you not? Mm, (laughs) Typical. Um, Is that although there's a very high incidence amongst people from West Africa, this is within the UK where the the, the research is done, uh, high incidence of people from West Africa and and, and reasonably high on people from the the Caribbean, people from parts of Greece have a 1 in 100 chance, which across a large population is pretty high.
2: So he's obviously got some Greek ancestry.
5: Yeah, I'm descended from Aristotle. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, why I, I chose Drea as a South African name that just worked perfectly there. That just, boom, <laughs> I hit that one out the thing, but also like if you look at the behaviour of companies like Amazon and, and Google, they've got they put a lot of money into researching longevity. Google have got a longevity program. Um, as Jeff Bezos funds the, the the long now, it's like once you become the richest person on earth, there's only one thing that they can't fight and that's that's death and their own mortality yeah
5: and there's a long strong belief i mean this is something i, I actually worked on one of my uh, that one of the kooky ceos with whom i've had dealings actually hired me and i was the professor for the public understanding of science in a think tank in belgium and one of the things was you know the deny the doing away uh, of death uh, doing away with death and you know i, I used to conduct uh, debates you know is immortality a good thing or a bad thing because you know to expect a flower to live forever. That would be an insult to the flower. Nevertheless, it's something that makes us godlike. It's something that people want. And there's a guy called Ray Kurzweil. I'm sure you all know about him. Uh, uh, I saw him speak actually. He takes over 200 p- tablets, pills a day to stay alive. And actually Google have hired him. He's convinced that we don't have to die. I, I did watch him speak and actually he does burp a lot. I don't know but uh, but yes and no, it is a dream. It's it's we, we you know this is the this is the era when we really think we're coming close to being godlike. I'm not convinced, but that's the idea. So to answer your question, yes, to be a vengeful, it doesn't matter what kind of god you are, as long as you're a god. I and mean,
6: he's flawed,
2: and that's the thing. And he'd, he'd,
5: he'd, no it is Absolutely not a flaw. It
6: would be a lot easier.
5: Now, obviously,
3: so Richards has got his total body irati- irradiation room with God knows how much kind of nuclear material in there. Um, uh, He's producing vast amounts of artificial blood. What kind of team behind the scenes would he actually need to get all this done? Massive. Okay, give me a a, a rough round number here.
6: Uh, Well, I can tell you I have not seen, but I've been told by someone who did see an irradiator being moved in real life. Um, and this was done overnight and it involved a whole lot of military, a whole lot of roads being closed. And uh, yeah, it was really Did, a mission that was not something that you just do one day to the other by yourself.
3: And, and so are, are we talking some sort of militaristic kind of dictatorship here? Or? Yes.
6: Well, because, uh, of course, any any source of radiation is a huge security was, issue.
3: W- was this in the it's UK? A, uh,
6: uh, that was in the U.S., but in the, the U.K. will be pretty much the same.
3: Okay, so he needed the uh, cooperation of the military. Uh, he needed to close roads. He needs a team of uh, 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 probably quite a lot of doctoral students to uh, turn out all this blood.
2: Yeah, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> he can keep this secret. <laughs> I mean, part of the, the thing was that there was no. I wasn't didn't want us to implicate any particular scientists, so that all the scientists were somehow kept this quiet by only giving them small slices of information that's believable isn't it
3: so Steve um, whilst the drama has been playing out um, had people been uh, investigative and got into blood-culture.com which is your domain which is your area they might have found something
1: uh, quite innovative that's right if they've applied for a position with Meta Via the metabeta websites, rather than actual blood culture websites, then they can get caught up in playing an interactive text game, which enables them to help Justine and guide her through uh, all kinds of adventures.
3: So uh, you basically um, uh, start just by kind of sending a text as, as part of your application process, and kind of get drawn into a bit of a, a bit of a thriller yourself, where. You're a partner in crime to this young woman, Justine, as she dashes around the meta building. And she asks you to do things, she asks you to sort of send things and...
1: Absolutely. If there's a distraction that needs to happen, then, you know, she asks you to tweet or to send an email to Richard or whoever in order that she can get through and, you know, get into someone's office or something like that. And you direct her going through, you help her as she goes through Now Lance has been telling me that people have been getting quite friendly with Justine It has been, one of the problems is that people want to chat to her all the time, here she is, the poor thing she's running around trying to get these It's actually
2: a documents. simple AI
1: It's not a simple it's AI. AI It's a very it's, simple it's, it's AI It's highly sophisticated have
2: It's like know. a choose your own adventure with like a few more options and people keep on asking her out for drinks oh, do they? They <laughs> fall for her but they, 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 it seems to be a natural inclination if you're, if you're a male of a certain age. That if you've got, got a millennial called Justine SMSing you, you've instantly asked her out for drinks. Then I have to point out that we it was coded by Steve and I. It's like asking us <laughs> out for drinks. It seems to be I, less I'm effective. I'm happy
1: to be asked out <laughs> <laughs> That's
5: no problem. What sort of age group are the men who do this?
2: Well, I know mostly my middle-aged friends who've been trying it. But, uh, but actually, the interesting thing is that like, because it's via SMS, it's got an intimacy to it that people don't seem to make that distinct, you know, it, they think they can just talk to her like a normal person. And it is a very crude, simple AI that's spinning you through it's this story.
1: It's a sophisticated AI. Oh, it's,
2: <laughs> it's picking out keywords that you yeah. say. And if someone says, I'm busy, I'm down the pub, or do you, uh, you sound a bit lonely, why didn't you go on Tinder, someone said to her the other day. I haven't actually predicted that someone would say that, and then she gets all confused. Um, and it's been a really interesting experiment from that point of view, yeah. just seeing how people use it and actually uh a friend of mine's uh 14 year old son got uh in trouble with his headmaster he thought he was involved in some sort of weird scam <laughs> and got pulled up before the headmaster because he had all these weird texts on his phone
3: from some strange woman from
2: some strange woman also i want someone to get into a, part- a fight with their partner over this this would be brilliant yeah that sounds great who are, you, ta- yeah, no, <laughs> who are you texting oh justine oh 72 texts from justine? her exactly it's just perfect but i mean like they they it's about the, the form. It's got an intimacy. SMS. I mean, uh, hopefully, oh, we are we'd rather let the, the rabbit out. The bag. Hopefully, we might be able to get it onto Twitter.
1: Yeah, and that's the aim. We're going to try and port it over so that people can interact with the AI, the sophisticated AI, <laughs> using uh, Twitter. <laughs> but everyone
5: understands that it's fiction and that to, that this place is not that ideal to work for. So it's they're part of the game.
2: They know if you go down if you've bothered to go down the rabbit hole, you'll know it's fiction. But people seem to i tell people you know when we've been testing it i loud noisy when we've been testing it we've flagged it with people and they still really quickly seem to forget sorry are they looking for employment no they're not they they know that it's 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 a game but even if you know it's a game people stop they they start chatting in really surprising ways and it's i think it's because of the intimacy of the form it's too potent if it was, if you were just on a little computer game or something like that on a simple screen, you'd know that it was a choose-your-own-adventure. But you put it on someone's texts, and they think it's a person. Um, and I, you know, and and it does. I mean, I can't find a lot of precedents of people using this combination of technologies, the the kind of the engine behind it and SMS. So it's kind of a little bit innovative like that, which is why it keeps on breaking. <laughs> Doesn't break. <laughs> See?
1: Right. She just no, it doesn't break. Just Reacts get... in slightly odd ways. That's all. Yeah, like
2: repeating the same thing over and over and over again.
3: As an engineer of my friend of mine once said, it's a feature, not a fault. <laughs>
2: Repetitive Justine.
3: And
6: come on, they're asking her to go down the pub, right? So
2: it's... Yeah, when she's in the middle of an adventure and 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 hiding under her boss's desk or whatever happens. So... But yes, hopefully you should be able to, if you sniff around the website, you should be able to find this on Twitter if we've got it up and running. If you don't find it, we haven't. (laughs) Thanks, Lance. Got
5: out of that one.
0: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it.
3: um, part of what's made it very immersive has been the fact that it's not just uh, uh, people talking, there's a whole world around them and there's a, a, a sense of the space that they're in. Um, can you talk a little bit about the um, uh, uh, the process of kind of building that world?
4: Well, I suppose it's, it's about creating that immersive experience and... <laughs> and I've worked in radio for quite a long time and, and a project like this is quite unusual to have that opportunity to do that because normally the kind of dramas that I work on the sound is used in a very basic way and and, and and there are reasons for that because there isn't often the time to really get into the detailed sound design and I think it's probably the simplest way to the simplest thing to compare this to is that it's closer to probably a TV programme or a film where that level of detail is really important. And, and probably, you know, both me and Lance are quite obsessive about these things and, and drive ourselves mad. And, and, and we both laughed about the amount of detail and sound that we'll put in. So, for example, if a character is, is just sitting having a conversation, but I, I think it's important to give a sense of movement and, and that physicality there. So in the back of um, Richard's car... There's a scene, and I've just used um, the creak of leather seats occasionally, just to give that feeling that there's there's people in there, there's people moving around, and, and it's I just didn't. subtle things like that. No, you're put, lazy. so you I didn't <laughs> um,
2: I did put loads of music on, and then then hopefully no one notices that the creaks aren't there. <laughs> oh. the, uh, any sound of some of extra creaks in came from Simon and Marley. Yeah, the, the stuff with loads of music was me.
4: But it's it's interesting because you'd think that the the big set pieces are the harder ones to do with all the kind of crazy, weird stuff going on. But actually, it's the, the more realistic, naturalistic stuff that takes the time. That My bugbear is always footsteps mm. because, you know, without having the budget to do proper Foley, you're relying on a library.
3: And and, and what's, what's Foley?
4: Foley is um, using items objects to create sounds and it's normally used in film and TV because there's normally no film uh, there's normally no sound recorded on set when you're recording a TV program or a film
3: so program. you'd actually be performing footsteps
4: yeah so you the coconut shells that's the the cliche um, idea for horses hooves, mm, or but, a kiss. yeah but but also footsteps so there are people it's it's very it's a really specialist. Art. There's not that many pe- many foley artists.
3: Right, because there aren't guys who want to wear heels and boots on different yeah. days. So
4: th- all these people, <laughs> they have massive collections of different shoes, different floorings, and they will spend days just getting the, f- the footsteps right in TV and film.
2: I think it's a sense that we're familiar with can be the hardest, because obviously yeah. we hear footsteps all the time in our lives, and we yeah. can detect them. Whereas uh, someone having a, a fight on a slide... I've never actually heard that. So, no, Uh. no, not a massive. One of my children having fights on slides. I could guess that, or you know, I've never been in a um, in a hippie van as it spins down a a hill. So it's kind of like it's not something that we're you know. It's probably just the smashing sounds. But yeah, you get down to the very everyday sounds, and you know you have to get them pinpoint right. So that's kind of like, that's where it can be quite difficult. But also you have to sort of stop yourself going in deeper and deeper. What was that?
4: It's a a carrier bag. (laughs) (laughs) On cue. (laughs) (laughs) The carrier bag sound effect. That was very well edited in later. (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing I, I think that's good about this, and what I personally enjoy about doing radio drama, is the blurring of sound design and music. And where, yeah, just it's just so nice to use music in a way that might be descriptive of some of the physical things that are going on for some of the characters, rather than just being there to signpost. I don't know, just to set up a scene or signpost emotional states. Yeah.
2: So, and that's the thing. I mean, we we we've talked about this in three. But um, you know, that's the thing you can do with radio drama. You, you're not slave to a time code. So you can cut the action to the music or the music to the action and they can kind of really work together fluidly. And when you have people like Claire who allow you to cut their music and turn it upside down, are you allowed to hit the beats of the action in a very active way? And that's something you can, you, we've done throughout it, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> that's that yeah,
5: can, can I just say that's fantastic, that what you've just done. That's really S- sells it so well. As a, as, a, as a thing, it really does.
4: But also, um, it's it's about being unapologetic with the sound because normally in dramas, it's so, you know, the sound. It's almost like you can imagine the producers, you know, the directors going, "Oh, let's have that sound effect. That's oh, no, too loud. Let's pull it back a little bit." And w- what we've done, I think, is just it's in your face. You know, there are times when it's really loud, and it's you know, it's nice when you're you're. I mean, obviously the 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 um, dialogue is most important but you want to feel like the action's really happening and like you're in the midst of it And Headphone listening
2: Presumably most people who are still listening to this are on headphones at the moment we're talking directly into people's earbuds and therefore you can do a lot more
3: It does make a huge difference yeah. actually Yeah, yeah I've, I've listened to it both now uh, on headphones um, and kind of on speakers and when, when you've got those headphones on it gives you this incredible space around you it's, it's, it's really got a shape and a place
2: Good. Most people listen to it will be on, on headphones. Right. I
5: mean, you, you, you guys have become very zeitgeisty because in the theatre now, in the last kind of five years, it's become a big thing. In the old days, everyone said, we're we doing visual theatre, we're doing physical theatre, visual, visual, visual. And suddenly, of late, storytelling has become very important, and so has sound. So, Complicite and uh, people at the Battersea Arts and so on have done shows that are completely dedicated to sound and to sound that, that, that puts you. In it, I mean, I saw a show, there were hundreds of people there that encountered the the Complicite show where each of us had earphones and we were all in it. It's really zeitgeisty, well
2: done. There's something about sound that allows you to, it draws you in so deeply. It is very immersive in a way that film doesn't ever quite hit that level for me. And and even theatre, you're kind of aware of the fourth wall. You're aware of them down there. Uh, whereas, you know, you can lose yourself in sound. The only other thing about podcasting makes it a bit different is probably people are listening to this as they're walking around, driving a car, uh, doing the washing up. And therefore, it's kind of like you can't go completely. We, we can't ask the audience to sit in a darkened room with the lights off. And so that we're assuming that as people are listening to this, they're doing something else. And therefore, it has to. That's why we've got a lot of narration to hold your hand, to guide you through.
6: Simon, can I ask you a question? Mostly mm. prompted from the fact that we have talked about a lot about uh, artificially generated blood that is not real blood but is made to be like real blood. Do you think this could happen for the Foley artist as well? Will we get to a point where we will no longer need to have all the different shoes and the different floorings, but we will know exactly what is the note and the frequency and everything yeah, of the sound a- that needs to be produced, and we can just fabricate it?
2: Yeah. Generative audio. Uh, is there is uh, th- that I've seen someone build a, f- a fire and a helicopter just out of, of, of pure tones. Oh, really? Um, oh, there was a guy I worked with once, and uh, I've completely forgotten his name. Great story, Lance. Great story. But basically, yes, it is. It's <laughs> no, it possible to construct sounds out of uh, raw data. It's yeah. a, there's a program called pure data that, that mm. you can use, and you can construct sounds in that way. And the idea was that uh, you'd work out the parameters of a, of a dustbin or something like that, and then any angle you hit it, uh, within, say, a video game, it would make the right sound. Once those parameters were in there, as was just pure data form. You didn't need to go and record millions of dustbins. It would just—it
4: would be in there, and then you could interact with it anyway. So it's like a 3D printer of sound. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Guy- all sound is made up of sine waves, and mm. it's all dependent on how loud they are at certain frequencies makes up a, a unique timbre. So, but it's just having the computing power to have enough of those sine waves at the right frequencies and levels whether a sound will sound realistic and believable.
5: And see, I, I've been working in radio probably more than any of you have been alive. <laughs> um, I'm serious. How, how how do you do something like uh, I don't know, stabbing or chopping a head off or uh, those kind of things? Meat, meat, you know and those kind of. Grapefruits. Yeah, grapefruits.
2: Yeah, meat. Mm-hmm. Things Me- like that. Melons and melons yeah, and watermelons get it big
4: time. Actual <laughs> slashing of meat. So.
2: Yeah. But we actually didn't actually attack any meat in
4: the no, series. No, I know, but so I'm just
5: saying those are examples of things where people have puzzled over it. And, you know. But to manufacture something that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: But it's still easier just to go and a uh, yeah, yeah. B- butcher of watermelon and probably more fun. <laughs> so, I, d- I, d- what was it? I didn't do any insane foley. I mean, I did a lot of walking, it seemed, and punching myself in alleyways.
5: Wait, was, <laughs> was walking okay then?
2: When, when we walked,
5: was that okay for what we did?
4: Um, I added the walking for everyone in in my scenes um but i did I used library sounds because I just didn't have the time budget <laughs> to um do proper foley, so I had to use library stuff and then I would chop it up so that the time would be right and suit what was going on in the in the drama.
2: Yeah, and I punched myself in alleyways. Mm. Did you really? Yeah, at night. I had to go down to an alleyway for the bit where you and attacks uh, um, uh Aisha. I had to go to an alleyway at night, and I was, I was uh, the microphone set up, and I was, I was attacking a leather jacket. Could you do it? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got my leather jacket. Oh you know, no, no, I've right only you. got an um, anorak. And it's it's. You know, I've, oh god, if someone catches me now, <laughs> it's <laughs> just going <laughs> to be <laughs> so embarrassing. And it was just me standing there punching this thing. But in I wonder the cold if there's any difference air.
4: in our movements. If say you were being Livy and I was being different ones
2: I know you have to identify each file so they had yeah. Livy's stomps and Aisha's runs and things and also I had to work out who was wearing what clothes yeah I had so different
4: coats for different characters Livy always wore a leather jacket yeah.
2: so Ewan wore my, my anorak
4: I, I like I, one of my favourite bits actually I'll be selfish here and talk about is where Ewan's attacking Aisha and I use leather, the leather jacket again um, for leather gloves so you've got that creaking sound <laughs> you actually felt like there was a physical squeezing going on Okay, guys, so I'm going to have to sort of wrap us up there uh, for time
3: purposes, Um, but uh, earlier on we were looking ahead at maybe what might lie in the future for some of these characters, and we were all thinking, guessing, having a sense of it, but one person probably knows more than the rest of us, Lance, (laughs) what's what's happening with these people?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, Livy's probably wasted Mm -hmm. and having a good time, Alan's probably trying to keep up, Richard's talking to his lawyers. Uh, Aisha's in a hammock, just figuring out who she is. Uh, Saul's, Saul's, bumping around. Where was he going? You sent him off somewhere. Oh
3: yeah, well he's off on the Silk Road, isn't he?
2: He's off on the Silk Road. Yeah. yeah.
3: Classic, classic trip.
2: Can't believe Venny's going to hold that job down.
3: Yeah. Okay. Okay. But is there any drama in their future lives?
2: Kim is going to be probably trying to find out where, where, which island that Richard has gone hiding on to. So, and in general, uh, are you saying uh, are we going to see these characters again? Yes,
3: that's obviously that's what I'm saying. Entirely
2: dependent on the audience. <laughs> <laughs> we need people out there actually to yeah. If you want to stick to to come back, there's there's a chance. There's things waiting to happen, aren't there?
3: Okay, so what you're saying, Lance, is if you want to hear the characters come back, oh, God. spread the word of the podcast.
2: Yes, spread just your just just love. We just need uh, reviews, and we haven't actually banged on about reviews. You see, review us on iTunes. Tweet us, tweet the Wellcome Trust and tell them that we want. they want more money for more series and uh, keep following us. And I think these people might come back.
3: All right. Well, I know that's what I want. I, I, I want to see the further adventures of Livy and Anna. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I've got to say thank you to everyone. Um, uh, Steve, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, uh, Jack, thanks for your contributions. That was
5: amazing. Thank you.
3: Uh, Alan. Pleasure. Uh, uh, Bryony, thank you so much. Thank you And Simon, love to have you. you. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Christina, edifying as ever.
6: It's been a pleasure.
3: And Lance, thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much indeed, David.
3: All right. And from Blood Culture for now, it's saying goodbye.
0: Hurt animal, but one team member had another darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawned something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, with all episodes available. Binge the entire
6: story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.